On this Father's Day, I want to look at perhaps one of the most well-known dads in the New Testament. Yet we don't know his name. We don't know his occupation, although farming can be assumed. We don't know if, as the story unfolds, his marital status. All we know about this father is that he had two sons. And I want to speak not just to dads, but to all men today. In fact, to all of us, about how God, our Heavenly Father, responds to you and me in what we'll say are not so awesome times. Let me ask you, have you ever had broken or shattered dreams? Have you ever wanted the best for someone and they seem to just be persistent about being on a destructive path, not even accepting the help that you offer? Have you ever been so entangled in a situation that you see there's no way out and it just feels like it's going in no way positive? This is how I imagine this father from this story must have felt. Equally, I have to be honest, I think sometimes our Heavenly Father thinks this way about us. All of the fathers that I know would willingly lay down their lives for their families. All of the fathers that I know have also blown it from time to time. All of us can look back on situations and see things that we wished we had handled differently. Now, most of the time when we get to Father's Day, many of the attributes that are highlighted and focused upon are things like leadership qualities and being a good role model. And that's a good viewpoint to have. There's a truth there. But today, I want to look at the father of the prodigal son, and how he handled himself when things didn't go exactly according to plan. How did he handle himself and his faith in knowing that one day his wayward son would return? You see, all of us have done things that don't go our way. All of us have done things that have gone really, really wrong. Truth is, in those times, we can probably learn more about who we are and what our faith is truly made of. So I want to look at this dad from Luke chapter 15. But I want to bring us to our attention in the entire, in the entire chapter of Luke 15. Jesus lays out three different stories. The context of the three stories is that the Pharisees and the Jewish leaders had come to Jesus and they were upset with him. That's no biggie. They were always upset with him. But in this particular instance, the thing that bothered them the most about him is that he was always with those people. He was always with tax collectors and sinners and the undesirables of the world always seemed to be hanging out with the wrong crowd, according to them. So in answer to their uncompassionate hearts, he gives three different stories. And the first one is the parable of the lost sheep, how that the shepherd would leave 99 sheep to go find the one lost sheep. 
Then the second story he gives is the story of the lost coin, where a woman had ten silver coins, loses one, and searches the entire house and looks for that one lost coin, and when she finds it, she lets everyone know, and they can rejoice together. He's making a point about the fact that we need to have compassion on that which is lost in contrast to the heart of the leaders that were coming against him and saying, Jesus, what's wrong with you? Now, the first two stories are short. Then to drive the point home, we get to the the parable of the lost son, or what is more often known, the prodigal son. Luke chapter 15, and I'll begin reading in verse number 11 in a minute, but the truth is, for most people over church history, the main character in this story has either been the younger son or the father. But given the context of what Jesus was driving at, the main character in this story is the older son because he's making a point about the lack of compassion someone had for that which was lost and is now found. And that's the point he's driving home. That's a reason to rejoice. Luke chapter 15, I'll begin reading in verse number 11. Then he said, a certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided them to his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in the land. And he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him to the fields to feed swine. And he gladly would have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, and am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet, and bring the fatted calf and kill it, and let us eat and be merry, for my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. Now his older son was in the field, And when he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come. And because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. But he was angry and wouldn't go in. Therefore, his father came out and pleaded with him. So he answered and said to his father, lo, these many years... I have been serving you. I have never transgressed your commandment at any time, and yet you never gave me a goat, a young goat, that I may make merry with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours came, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, Son, 
you are always with me, and all that I have is yours. Then in verse 32, he comments, it was right that we do this. Because your son was, your, your brother was dead and is alive. It's difficult for me to read verses 29 and, verse 29 and 30 and not whine when I do it. Lo, these many years I have been serving you. I never transgressed your commandment at any time. You never gave me a calf. It's hard not to whine when I read those verses. I imagine that's what the older son was doing. The word prodigal can simply be translated wasteful or extravagant but in a bad way. This young man was arrogant. This young man was undisciplined and wasteful. This young man was really making some awful life choices. Then this young man came to his senses. Anybody here can relate to this? Anybody see any of this in our culture today? Our culture is a never-ending attempt for people trying to find themselves and willing to try almost anything and everything except coming back to the one true God. Well, I've tried God's ways, and they didn't work for me. Let me make something clear. If God's ways didn't work for you, the problem wasn't God's ways. The problem was you. See, our God is never weak, he's never wrong, he's never late, and his ways never fail. So many have traveled so far from God and then wonder why it takes them away from people that really, really care about them. Why it's so hard for them to get close to one another. Yes, people will quote the verse, love your neighbor, but love your neighbor only works when you love God first. For so many, it's all about me, what I want, and how I want it. And this young man models this. He thought life at home was so bad, so awful, that the only solution would be to turn my back on anything and everything and everyone I've ever known. And that still happens today. People don't realize the blessings they have. People don't appreciate how God cares for them each and every day, even while they're in the process of living a life that refuses him. This young man was the picture of rebellion, and in his infinite wisdom, he decided he'd had enough. So he goes to his father and demands the portion of the inheritance that is due him upon his father's death, but he wants it now. Essentially, he was saying, Dad, I want to go and live the rest of my life as if you're dead. This seemed the right path to this arrogant young man. It amazes me what will pass for the right path in our society today. They can look at any crooked, evil system, um, system or situation and see nothing wrong. If it is right to you, it's right. Go ahead and do it. If it feels good, do it. We learned this past Thursday night as Dr. Evans was talking about uh, the, the uh, shield of faith. That, and he was talking about truth. 
that the only valid definition of truth is what God says on a given matter. It doesn't matter what I feel about a particular thing. What God says about it, that is what is truth. This young man decided that the best foot forward was not only to go in his own way, but to do so in a way that insulted his dad. Turn his back on his family and venture off into the world that with that which he felt was rightly his. Now in these times, back in this culture, the way in which this would have worked out in Bible days is with this father and two sons, upon this father's death, two-thirds of the estate would have gone to the older son and one-third would have gone to the younger son. The real insult here in him asking for it now before his dad had had passed away, is he's basically saying to his dad, not only do I want to live my life as if you're dead, he's essentially saying, I wish you were. Now let me ask you, your child comes to you and says all of this, what's your response going to (laughs) be? What would you have said to this boy? Honestly, what would have been your part of the conversation, which we don't get to hear what the dad said, What would have been your thinking? Probably something along the lines of, this wonderful child of mine needs to be beaten. I think I get a lot of amens on that one. Regardless of what the details of the conversation were, the father agrees. The father agrees. Some of you might see that as bad parenting. Some might say it's unrealistic. No one in all of creation is going to treat you in a way that when you insult them, they're going to continue to bless you. I disagree. That's how God deals with you and deals with me. When we turn our back on him, he still blesses us. When we embrace lies and reject truth, he still provides for us. When we directly insult his majesty, our God still lets us know he loves us and will be there when we come back to our senses. This is how God responds to us in our foolish ways. This boy gets his money. And a few days later, he's out of here. And immediately embraces a wild and wasteful lifestyle. And while he has money, he has friends. What a lesson there is right there. People, friends that only hang around when it's sunny and when things are going good and when you have plenty. That's where the phrase fair weather friends comes from. But friends that won't be there when it rains, that won't be there when you're down and out, I wouldn't even call them friends. That's useless. True friends will not only be available to you when you're in your worst situation, but they will run to you and cling to you. But the money runs out. And don't you know what a famine comes into the land? And the minute the run, the the, the Money runs out, the friends are gone. And he's not just broke, he's broke, broke. He's really broke. He's totally broke. He finds himself in such a state that he's taken in by somebody in that land and is given the job of feeding pigs. 
not something any Jewish boy ever grew up thinking they would do in their lifetime, was to be feeding an unclean animal. Not just feeding the unclean animal, he began to thinking as he's feeding these pigs, gee, what they're eating looks pretty good. (laughs) He was desiring their food for himself. How many know sometimes we got to get really on our last leg before we come to our senses? As a Jew, could things get worse? But at this point, he remembers, gee, it wasn't so bad at home, was it? Even my dad's servants got it better than I have it. In essence, this kid was broken. And then he does something that all of us hopefully have done. And whenever we're in a state of not following him, we'll do. He comes to his senses. And he comes back to his father. Church, when someone comes back to God, that's a reason to rejoice, not a reason to point fingers. When someone stops trying to live life their way, that's a reason to shout, not a reason to pull out the resume of all their mistakes and, put in, and, 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 and then put it in their face. When someone stops living as if there is no God, that's a reason to praise God and give him glory that someone came to their senses and came back to the Father. So he starts back home. He leaves a dirty pig pen, doesn't stop at the Holiday Inn to clean up first. He leaves the pig pen and starts a long journey back to his family, and he prepares a speech. Because he's got to figure, after all I've done and the insult I gave to my dad, it's going to have to be a real good apology to get back in the door. But as he came near the house... It says, while he was still afar off, his father sees him. His father sees him because his father was looking for him. Wherever you are today, God is looking for you. Any wayward person who's backslidden from the Lord, God is looking for you. No matter how far you've drifted, he's looking for you. He's on the watch for the slightest step you and I will take in coming back to him. He's looking for you. And as the boy is walking toward his father, his father runs to him. His father falls on his neck and kisses him. Anyone remember where this boy had just been? He didn't come to his dirty, filthy, stinking son and say, so good to see you. Why don't you go wash up first? No. He throws himself on his son and kisses him because his son was dead and is now alive. And the son starts his speech. Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. He's talking to the father. Notice the father never talks to the son. He talks to the servants. Get a ring, put it on him. Get a robe, put it on him. Get sandals, put it on him. He came back thinking he was going to have to be one of his, his dad's hired servants. His dad says, you are my child. I'm going to treat you like you had never left before. He talks to the servants. And then says, find a big calf because it's party time. 
That's how God responds to you and me. That's how he responds. They have this major celebration where everybody is happy. Well, not everybody's happy. The older son was not pleased. The older son was self-righteous. I'm sorry, in layman's term, the older son was a brat. When any Christian gets to the point where we can't rejoice in a sinner coming home, the first thing on your need list is prayer. Because something is very wrong. This son, this older son reminds me of Jonah. Jonah could not deal with the fact that if he went and preached to Nineveh, that God might actually forgive them if they repented. And Jonah wanted no part of Nineveh's redemption. Jonah only wanted to know a God who would look at the sins of Nineveh, look at the crimes that they had committed, look at how harsh and brutal they were, and punish them. What a loving God Jonah had. This older son's not happy. And he won't go in and join the party. So his dad comes out. I got to for a minute think about this dad in human terms. His son's finally come home. For him, all is not right with the world. And he's looking around and somebody's missing. He's got to be thinking... Now what? You got a problem with this? But he did. So he came out, and the son says, how could you do this? This son of yours squandered your livelihood, embarrassed the family, wished you were dead. And when he comes home, you forgive him. You not only forgive him, you celebrate him. You extend to him mercy, yeah. Goodness, yeah. Forgiveness, yes. As I said for the younger son before, this older son needs to be beaten. We're in a really bad place when at any point in our Christian life, as we see God moving in the lives of others, that our response is, what about me? Because the reality is, what the father said to the son is, but you always had me. Isn't that enough? I was always there. All that I have is yours. You're not going to have to live with the regret. You're not going to have to live with the memories that, the, that your younger brother would. Even in that conversation, he tries to disown his brother by saying, this son of yours, not my brother. This world really has gone nuts on this, con- on, on this concept. We believe lies about the nature of life. We align ourselves with error rather than the truth of God's word. This world would rather hug a tree than at least consider showing love and care to a child that hasn't been born. Yet when they start home, we need to show love to everyone, no matter what mistakes they've made. 
no matter what nonsense they had previously embraced. Why? Because that's how God responded to you and me. That's how God responds to us all. There's a song that's called When God Ran. And we sang a number of choruses today that talked about God running to us. And I guess that's the point of the story that just hits me the most. That when I was timidly walking my way back to God, he ran to me. He ran to you and I. How dare I not have the same love for somebody else? And again, this story is in the context of Jesus being told, why are you hanging around with sinners? Why are you hanging around with tax collectors? Why are you hanging around and dining with harlots? Why are you hanging around with the undesirables of our society? Because that's how God works. He loves them, and he wants to see them come home. So much so that he's not going to just sit on a throne somewhere and wait for them to come to him. He's going to come to them and meet them even while they're still afar off. We never want to have a heart like this older son. We never want to have a heart that thinks because we've done the, because you've done the wise thing, the Christian thing, and follow him, that somehow should put you in a different stratosphere or a different status than someone who still needs to come back or come for the first time to Jesus. We are all level at the foot of the cross. but Jesus, haven't you looked at my resume lately? I've been serving you for a long time. I've done this for you and that for you. So yeah, I want to get that sinner saved, but when they get saved, I want them to come into the church and sit in their place and we'll let them know when they're needed. A lot on Wednesday nights, I'm praying for the future of this church. That God's going to do something amazing here. Believe it in my spirit. He's going to fill these pews. And I believe he's going to fill these pews with people who will come and teach us. Not just come and be taught by us. He's going to come and fill these pews with people who will be leaders. Even though they don't have seniority. Because that's how God responds. He brought the son back and restored him. Being a hired, a, a, a hired servant was not an option for the father. But the ring, that was a sign of sonship. That was a sign that basically that ring and robe and sandals is what he took off when he left. God put it back on. And that's what he does for you and me. And that's what we need to do for others. I know so many parents who have children who have walked away, who aren't following the Lord. And our hearts break for that because that's we want our children. We want everyone to come to Jesus, but we want our children to follow the Lord. That's a parent's cry, a Christian parent's cry anyway. 
and we pray for that. But in praying for that, I also want, Lord, pray that our hearts are filled with such compassion that when they, and we have by faith the mindset, when they come to the Lord, when they come to their senses, when they come back to Jesus, if they had been with him and fell away, when they get it right, what will be on this side when they come home will be nothing but love, will be nothing but a party, won't be a lecture about, well, it's about time you came home. You know how long I've been praying? My knees were getting sore. That's not how God responds. When we came home, he threw a party. When the people we're praying for come home, we need to be willing to join the party and say, God, he's been found. She's alive. And that's a reason to shout. Stand with me, please.